welcome back to God's Work Display. This is part two of our short little series, you could call it, on what's permissible to eat in the Bible. What, what does Scripture say about our food? A few quick uh, housekeeping things before we go on. Just remember, if you have any questions, concerns, reach out, uh, contact me. Also, if you would tell me good things, too. I like that. Uh, <clears throat> you can contact me at godsworddisplayed at gmail.com. It's all one word. Or um, you can also, you can always comment on your many podcast um, apps. You, you Whatever you're listening to your, this podcast on, you can usually rate and give reviews. So feel free to do that. Uh, and hopefully I can get that feedback as well. And I also really would love to hear ideas on other topics that you would be interested in me hitting on. Uh, I've got a few in the pipeline, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna take one at a time. Just a couple other things. So I'm trying to do a little better with getting these out in a timely manner, but it is kind of a busy time of year for me because of um, just the regular work I do and then gardening stuff for me. I, I get kind of serious about that. And then I also am currently teaching at a, a homeschool co-op for high schoolers. So uh, just trying to keep up with all that stuff on the teacher end. So And then preparing for next year, what classes I'm going to teach and all that. So it's it's a little busy right now, So, but I'm trying to, to maintain that. Uh, so, But if it's this was delayed a little more than I wanted to, but that's just where I am with that. So those, those are the housekeeping things. So let's get on to... What does the Bible say, specifically what does the New Testament say about food, what we can eat, what we can't eat, and what's permissible, what's not? So we're going to, the way I'm going to structure this episode <clears throat> is I'm, we're going to kind of do a brief overview of some of the New Testament passages about food. Not all of them. Uh, it's just, we just don't have the, it would not be beneficial for us to go through all of them. There's a lot, and we're actually going to hit on quite a few even today. And then we're going to talk about something called the New Covenant, and um, we'll talk about some theological implications of that. Uh, my position will, will be one that, that some of you may not agree with, and that's okay. Uh, I'm right, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we can have those disagreements, and that's okay. Uh, but I hope, hopefully what I say was, is convincing to you. Uh, then we're going to take a look at specifically one of the passages in Acts, that uh, it's Peter's vision, uh, if you're familiar with that, we'll look at that, and then we'll we'll kind of conclude by um, some parting remarks that we'll already have reviewed, um, but some stuff from First Corinthians, I just think is very helpful. And actually, we're going to start with First um, Corinthians uh, as our beginning of our brief overview of the New Testament passages, and I just I want to start with that because I think that these are helpful in how we approach this topic. You know, Paul is writing to church in, the, in, in Corinth in his first and second letters. Well, what we have in the New Testament, um, what are known as first and second Corinthians. And he's addressing specific issues, but he's rooting those in principles that he has taken from the nature of the gospel and his understanding of what the new covenant is. So, one of the issues in Corinth is can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? 
or or is that sinful? And so in 1 Corinthians 8, 8 is what we're going to do. This is his kind of summation of what this is. And I think this is going to be helpful um, <clears throat> as we talk. But what it says is, But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Food will not commend us to God. What we eat, what we don't eat, will not gain us merit with God. It will not make us look better in the eyes of God. When we are bought by the blood of Christ, we are adopted into his family, and he views us as sons and daughters, and we can't get a better relationship than that. So, when you berate yourself for food choices, <clears throat> or you judge other people because of their food choices and that you have not made those food choices, that is no benefit to you or to them. So, um, and and I'm just going to go ahead and say this in the front end. This is addressed to diet culture. This is point blank, basically saying diet culture is is wrong and is not helpful. It does not commend us. And this is not just to women. This is men. I hear a lot of men speaking about, well, I shouldn't have eaten that or I should eat that and things. You know, th there are conscience issues with food, yes. You know, I... And I'll sometimes when I eat things, I just don't feel good after I eat them. Like I feel crummy, not emotionally, but physically. That's different. What I'm talking about is you beat yourself up because you had a donut for breakfast. Okay? Is it the healthiest choice? No, but it's not. It's not a sin. Okay? It's not a sin. You know, people. Talk and then they brag about the diets they're on. Oh, I'm on keto. I'm on Atkins. I'm on the Daniel fast thing we talked about last time. I'm on this or I'm on that. Those are not commending you to God. So I want you to let that sink in deeply. That these choices of food are not making you better or worse in the eyes of God. All right, <clears throat> that's my. That's kind of my kick for now. Sorry. Um, let's let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10. That's another big one that I think is helpful. Specifically, we're going to look at um, verses 23 through 31. And I won't give as long of a diatribe, I promise. So it starts in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informs you and for conscience' sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slander concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all 
for the glory of God. So going back to that example of the donut for breakfast, sure, it's not the healthiest. It's not, as he says in verse 23, it's not profitable for you, but that's okay. Just because I or someone else says that that's not good for you, doesn't mean it needs to make you feel like you've sinned. That does, that's unnecessary. But if your choices cause another person to struggle with learning the gospel or to hear the gospel and accepting the gospel, then then please, please, please watch what you're doing in, in, when people are around. But you know what you need to do with that donut when you're home? You need to eat that donut with such gusto because you are eating that donut for the glory of God. Now think about that. You can eat whatever you want. You can drink whatever you want for the glory of God. Now, let's be clear with drinking, um, and he would be thinking of this, the wine or, or any type of alcoholic beverage, there are limits because it's very clear scripture looks down on um, drunkenness because it's a lack of self-control. So let's be clear on that. But when you eat a meal, and you're just whatever in the course of your normal day, you are to do it for the glory of God. And you think, oh, well, nobody sacrifices meat to, uh, I, sacrifices animals to idols anymore. But that's not true. That happens in the United States. I have a friend. Um, he's part of a uh, culture. He grew up in a culture that some people, um, that people group in the U.S., many of them are Christians, but many of them also, many still sacrifice to idols and sacrifice animals like chickens and things. So um, it's it's a real issue still. And if you travel to other parts of the world, that's that's a very pertinent issue. So don't dismiss that. But also don't don't dismiss the fact that. Um, you know, people will say, well, I'm on a keto diet. Well, you know, that's not helpful to them if they feel that their conscience, is, they feel like the Lord, for whatever reason, is having them do a keto diet, which, by the way, is not a healthy diet. So, um, don't eat, don't eat a loaf of bread in front of them, okay? It's, it's not, it's not good for them. It's for their conscience, too. So, you have freedom, is what is what Paul's saying. Uh, is what I'm getting from here. All right. So uh, there's a, there's another powerful passage I think um, we find in Colossians. Again, this is a letter from Paul. I'm not going to be just pulling all from Pauline letters. And yes, I say Pauline and not Pauline. Get over it. It's just what I want to do. Um, sorry, I, I just. Just wanted to say that. So, Colossians. It's a letter to the church at Colossae. Um, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. It's a little short section. And here's what he says. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, don't let anyone judge you on how you organize your day, organize your meals, um, those kind of things, because those things are shadows. The real stuff 
the real, real stuff, the real reality is Jesus. That's what Paul's saying there. So as you think about that, next we're going to go to First um, Timothy. And we're going to be in First Timothy chapter 4. And this is a letter to Timothy, as you expect. Going to give him instructions on how to lead a church. You know, he, Timothy was Paul's um, protege. And Paul mentored him, and so he's kind of just saying, like Paul, uh, Timothy, this is how you got to live. This is how you got to lead. So here he is in verse, chapter four, verses four and five. For everything created by God is good, and nothing to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified. By the means of the word of God and prayer. Brothers and sisters, that's why we pray before meals. Everything that God made is good. Now, granted, much of the food items we consume are man-made, and, and I think I think there's some conscience issues with that um, because they're not beneficial, but they're not sins to consume those. Because ultimately God made everything. And so instead we pray and thank God for what he has provided for us. We give thanks to him. We do things like this. We look and see, okay, is what I'm doing appropriate? Is this, is this a sin? Is this a violation of God's commands? Or is this something totally appropriate? So those are kind of those things we're dealing with. Uh, we're going to now turn to, to Matthew, so we're going to look in the Gospels. And I know I'm kind of jumping around, but in some ways I'm kind of going with the uh, chronologically. So, you know, Paul's letters were written before the Gospels, as far as we can tell. There might be some dispute on Mark, but, you know, hey, then get over it. So we're going to look at Matthew 4. 4. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's 4 4. And reads this is um, the, and this and just to give you context while I read this, this is where Jesus has uh, gone into the wilderness to be tempted. He's fasting and he's being tempted, and so the tempter comes to him and says, "Why don't you turn the stones into bread?" And this is Jesus' response. But he answered and said, "It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." Friends, <clears throat> we need more than food, and we don't need to have our conversations always turn to food. I've been in many um, social settings where people, uh, all, pe all the people, or the majority of people, purport to be Christians, and uh, and was turned to food, and not in a good way of like, oh, this tastes great, but like, oh, I'm on this diet, and I'm doing this, and I'm not doing good, and. That's bad of me to, to eat this, and I'm a bad person, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's not what, Jesus is telling us that we need his word to sustain us, and we don't need to be fixated on food. Which, by the way, I get the irony of me doing a, two podcast episodes about food at this point, <laughs> if the point, but my point is, is that we're looking into the word of God. All right, so Matthew, we're going to stay in Matthew for a little bit, and we're going to look at Matthew 6.25. Oh, if you hear some, like, uh, shuffling and scrambling, I'm in my recording studio, i.e. a closet, 
<laughs> so it's a little cramped in here sometimes. So uh, I apologize if if something falls or clatters and startles you. Okay, so Matthew six twenty five. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Again, Jesus, Jesus is telling us that God's going to provide for you what you need to maintain you, to sustain you. Don't worry about the food you eat. Instead, have your energies directed towards how am I pleasing God in regards to how am I serving Him and serving other people? Because He's going to take care of it. Okay, and we're going to finish out Matthew. Matthew 15, 11. 15, 11. It reads, It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. So let me tell you something. If you are one who um, is condescending towards people who eat different things than you do, you are defiled. Because what is coming out of your mouth shows that. You are not holy by consuming only vegetables or only these organic foods or only this or only that. That is not making you holy. What you say and what you think about people is actually what tells us whether you're holy or if you're defiled. That person over there that you see drinking a Mountain Dew and eating Twinkie, that is not defiling them. If that same person is then speaking words of eternal life to somebody, they're, they are holier than you are. That's what this is reading. Because they know what's more important. It's the gospel. And that's an act of love. To share the, the gospel. Okay. I feel like this is a little bit harsh. And I apologize for the harshness. But I think that it's something that some people get fixated on. They, But I want this to sink deeply into you. I don't want this to be mean. I want this to be changing to you. That, that your fixation with food, if you have that, is completely unbiblical and unnecessary. And your restrictions. So far what we've seen is there, there's no restrictions. It's very clear. You know, we looked at the Old Testament and there seemed to be some restrictions. And then we read in the New Testament and he's like, eat whatever you want. Food sacrifice to idols. You know, that's fine. You know, just think about how how people perceive it. And then if, if it would be problematic, then don't do that in front of them. But other than that, it doesn't matter. All right, John. We're going to look at the Gospel of John 6, uh, the 27, and then, and then we'll stay in that same chapter. So 627, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. So, again, th our goal is to seek to work in such a way to earn eternal treasures, is another way of thinking of that. Um, the because our 
food is is the word of the Lord and Jesus who is the bread of life. Okay, he is man. He is the manna from heaven. And this is why I say that. Verse 35, the same chapter, 635. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. and He who believes in me will never thirst. Hear that? That's the nourishment we need. It's everything that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Everything he has done for us. His word. That's what we need. All right, we're going to look at, um, we're actually not going to read the Acts passage yet. We're going to get to that later. We're going to get to, we're going to look at Hebrews 13.9. I really like Hebrews. It's a, kind of a difficult sermon, I guess, would be the most appropriate way to actually describe what it is. Um, so, but it's, it's incredible. It changed, when I started really studying in college, it changed me. All right, so uh, 13.9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Hmm. So, Don't be fixated on the newest fad. What's happening? Don't, don't worry about reading the newest book about which which is the healthiest thing to do. No, instead, be carried away by grace. The foods won't get you anywhere. They won't make you ritually clean. Only Jesus will. They won't make you ritually unclean. You already are. Jesus makes us clean. Jesus what? makes our relationship with God possible. So, we've kind of done a pretty quick overview. Um, uh, you may not think it's quick, but this is actually really quick. And we, we I left out tons, tons of things. So, um, yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about the New Covenant. Okay. Now, I'm going to admit that I am in a camp. It's a newer camp, actually. So, there's within Protestant Evangelical... Christianity, there are two major camps of how we think about how Old Testament law and New Testament law work. There's something called dispensationalism. Um, that's a common one. I don't want to. I don't want to have to describe all this. And then there's another one called covenant theology. And so you can look those up if you're interested, or you can contact me and I can get you info for those. I hold to a position that uh, the more scholarly works are call it progressive covenantalism. And so it's a little different. And one of the main points I think it makes is that um, that when a new covenant is made, the old covenant is nullified. Okay? So... What happens is that when Jesus makes this new covenant with us, remember, he in the Last Supper, he says, with this, this cup I make a new covenant, and then through the actions of his crucifixion and his resurrection and the, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's clear that this new covenant has been inaugurated. And so, as a result of having a new covenant, the 
covenant laws of the Old Testament, like the Mosaic laws, like the Ten Commandments, no longer apply. Now wait, don't freak out. That doesn't mean that there's no rules or there's no laws. There's no. That's not what that means. What that means is that we now are under the rules of the new covenant. Okay? So what are those rules? Well, they're actually more expansive than the old covenant covenant ever was in terms of ethical um, life, how we live life. Obviously, it abolished all sacrificial systems, ritual cleanliness, all that kind of stuff, because that is mediated through Jesus, and so that's already taken care of by him. It's fulfilled. What that does mean, though, is like, how does that mean, how do I live? How do I function? How do, how do I treat other people? Because that, and that's what much of the New Testament is actually explaining. So that when we are under the new covenant, um, it's more expansive. So so let me give an example. So Jesus talks about if, um, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? That's from the Old Testament. And then he says, but I tell you this, that if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery, Right? That's not what the Old Testament says. Jesus has just expanded that and is basically saying, this is the new covenant regs. You, your heart has to be different too. And so when we think about that, when we, if you hold to this position, um, then no longer do we have to abide by those food laws. Now, a covenant... Now, the other positions will, will make a similar argument that we don't have to go by the food laws. There are some exceptions. I will admit that. But, um, in that case, they they do some weird, I think, some strange jumping through hoops to, to make it work. But, um, in this case, there are no longer food laws because the food laws were created to one, to have ritual cleanliness, and two, to show that God's people were a separate people from the other nations. We're not fully understanding how those laws worked in that regard, but we know that. Because the whole concept of a tripartite law that's uh, civil, ceremonial, and um, moral, it does not exist in the Old Testament. It's, it's a made-up thought experiment that came along much later in the church history, much later in church history, actually. <clears throat> and it isn't borne out in Scripture. It's just, it's a way, it's a way for people to kind of get a better grasp on it. Is it wrong? It's, I don't find it helpful. It's not sinful, but it's not helpful, I don't think. <clears throat> and and some may think, no, 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 that's the way it is, but that I'd, you will not be able to find any true backing in the Old Testament for that. So, with the New Covenant, that means that we are under new regulations, new laws, new rules that are much more difficult. But one of those that's been completely abolished are the food laws. And so we're going to see that in just a second with Peter's vision. And we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we'll get into Peter's vision. We're back from our break, and so I'm going to 
I'm going to read through a big chunk of Acts um, with Peter's vision. And I'm going to read some of the early stuff to kind of let you see what's happening. <clears throat> and then we're going to we're going to talk about that and see how that vision that Peter sees applies uh, food, but then also more more broadly. So uh, it starts in uh, Acts 10 and we'll go through a good portion of Acts 11. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius! <clears throat> and fixing his gaze on him, being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send it for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he'd explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even asking without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. 
Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So he sent for you immediately, and I, you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Okay, and I'm going to skip a good portion. Um, Peter then shares the gospel with them. And we there's some debatable things that go on that have led to a lot of debates that go on in this passage. Um, and so then the household accepts, people in the household accept uh, the gospel and then and repent and then are uh, then they receive the Holy Spirit then they're baptized later they get there um, so so then uh, Peter gets word to the church of Jerusalem that Gentiles have come to the faith and that they the Holy Spirit is on them and so they kind of proves that they are genuine and that the Holy Spirit can, uh, that the gospel can go out to the Gentiles and so then Peter kind of gives the lowdown he kind of tells his vision again so um, that's kind of what's going on here and he kind of just gives a report and now um, Gentiles are hearing the gospel so what does this have to do with food? Well, because at first blush, you're like, oh, well, now we can eat things because you can eat unclean things. And that's true. Peter's given a very clear um, command that he's to eat whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. And Peter has trouble because he was trying to be a devout Jew um, all, this, all his life. And, and now the God is saying that that's no longer necessary. This whole thing of food that is unclean and unholy is no longer a thing because that used to be how I separated you all from other nations and other peoples. But now, what has happened in this passage in Acts is that we see this Peter gets his vision and then immediately it's, it's coupled with this gospel proclamation to Gentiles. And what happens? These Gentiles believe and they are, and they are proven to be believers because of the clear presence of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a double whammy going on with this. It's that foods, all foods are now allowable and all peoples are given access to God through Christ. Jesus died for sins of his people and they weren't all Jews. He died for people who trust in him and have placed their faith in him. They, he has borne the sins of his people. And this people is a varied and diverse group of people who eat all kinds of things. So, what can and can't we eat? Well, we've talked about this. It's very clear what I think about this. I think that scripture is very clear on this. That's why I'm feel so strongly about this position you know this is a position i'm like i don't have a problem asserting this is that all foods are permissible all foods 
are permissible. I wanted to repeat that because I want it to be clear. You can eat whatever you want. Now, remember, we can eat and drink to the glory of God, but we have to, you know, there's some moderation in terms of, like, not losing self-control. That's, to be self-controlled is a, is a virtue of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, that we are to be sober-minded. But if you're given a ham sandwich, then eat it to the glory of God. I know that there's some prominent Christian celebrities who will tell you that that's not right. We have to keep those Old Testament food laws or that eating certain things is, is, is sinful because it's this or that and um, for all the different reasons. And that's it's not borne out in Scripture. It's very clear that all foods are permissible and that by us trying to say that other, certain foods are not permissible, that you can't eat this or that, we are creating barriers, potentially barriers to the gospel because we're trying to separate people away from us. So I want us to finish out again. I want us to go back to 1 Corinthians 8. 8. Um, and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 10 again. And like I said, I'm in a closet. So it's a little tight space, so I lost my place <laughs> in there. Okay, 8 8. 1 Corinthians 8 8. Food will not commend us to God. Remember, Peter? He's like, I haven't eaten anything unholy or unclean. Paul's like, remember, it doesn't commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. You eating stuff is not going to make you better or worse in the eyes of God. You're, you're already terrible, and you need Jesus. So, and then let's look back again at 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So I'm going to do a brief prayer and then a couple, just a, a little bit of updates on things. So let's pray. Father, thank you again that you are uh, kind enough to provide us the word, that we can explore it, we can dive into it and uh, just wrestle with it to know you better, that you didn't stop there, though, that you gave us your Son, who is the Word in flesh. And so I just ask that we just totally depend on that instead of our actions of how we eat and drink to to be our, our steadfast rock. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, last thing... So I think a couple of things that may be on the radar is um, please contact me if you have some ideas. Uh, I've got a couple ideas. One's been adoption, so we might be hitting on that soon. Um, and then another one I've been thinking on is uh, uh, funerals, burials, that kind of stuff. And maybe all on top of that, like how to die with dignity. And how how should a Christian die? And um, there's another there's a there has been another request for another communion one, but from a different 
perspective of like, some other questions about that. So we'll be looking at that. But if you have any other things, thoughts, um, please get in touch with me, God's work displayed at gmail.com or um, any other way you know how to contact me. Well, we'll see you next time. Thanks.